Good morning, church. We are grateful that you're here uh, joining us uh, this morning. We also want to say hello to those that are joining us online uh, and that have taken precautionary means to stay at home. Uh, We are grateful for them, and we are grateful uh, for uh, any conscience uh, that that they have that that would say, hey, we don't want to get in public places, regardless of its age or they have young children or whatever it would be. Uh, Today, uh, I want to uh, begin uh, here in a few moments talking about specifically the coronavirus and its impact on you and me, uh, the implications for us. Before I do so, I want to just help you also understand that four weeks from now, we have uh, the biggest Sunday of the year as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Uh, As we already now begin to think through that and put our hope on that, uh, we want to go ahead and help you understand how you can be a part of Easter this year. Um, And so there are a variety of ways that you can serve and that you can be a part of those things. But I would say that one of the greatest impacts this year that you can have is helping us plan on both campuses for our services. And the way you do that is to help us know where and when you're going to attend that weekend. The reason I say that is because for the first time uh, in our history, really, except for the very first year, we are not having our Wills Point Easter services at the high school. We're moving them on site here, which means we're going to offer four services that weekend, one beginning on Saturday night and three on Sunday morning. Now, here's where it comes uh, to help in terms of for you. If you will go to easter.stonepointchurch.com, Uh, You can do that today, this afternoon. The site's already up. If you go, you can begin to plan everything about your weekend. Uh, There's a great tab on the left-hand corner that you can plan uh, for your friends and your guests. There's an opportunity for you to share about that on any of your social media sites. But here's the greatest help that you can be is that is plan your service. You have an opportunity now to go and reserve your seats, and that helps us on both campuses determine which services are going to be maxed out and which ones we should say, hey, stay away from because it's going to be overcrowded. You can continue to check that all the way up to the minutes before the event. And so I encourage you to do that, easter.stonepointchurch.com. Got it? Okay, let me pray for us so that we uh, can dive off into this topic, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and its implications on you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of difficult situations across the world, Lord, that you are present, that you are near. Lord, you tell us that you uh, will comfort those uh, who are in affliction. And Lord, that you will comfort us in all of our sorrows and all of our challenges so that one day we will be in turn able to comfort those uh, in which the very things we've suffered and identified with, we can help others in their grieving and their suffering. Lord, we thank you that you are uh, near to the brokenhearted, that Lord, you encourage people to cast their cares upon you, that when they're weak or when they're heavy laden, that God, you will give them rest. And so Lord, today we come, uh, Lord, with a nation that uh, is in in many ways uh, fearful, uh, maybe a little confused, maybe wondering what really is happening or, or is what the truth is and all of it. I pray, God, that you would help us to be wise, that we would be discerning in the things that we see and hear and, and are part of. I pray, Lord, that most of all, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I pray that every word today here glorifies and honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So uh, COVID-19 is something that uh, I have had my eyes on uh, because of a friend here at Stone Point for many, many, many weeks. Matter of fact, I approached our staff last week about postponing our marriage series because I felt like I could have been an early adapter in helping our church prepare for COVID-19 or for this potential pandemic. And uh, I in my heart, felt like I needed to go ahead and finish that series, and I pushed it off. And to be quite honest with you, I was off a week. I was wrong. Uh, And so here's the thing. Uh, I'm grateful to gather because this is something I've had my eye on for a long time. Not necessarily uh, because uh, I'm wise, but because it's just something that I've been watching because of the potential impact that it would have on our culture and in the church globally across the world, as well as Americans and many other citizens across the world. Now, as I approach this message, I have contemplated for weeks how to do so, uh, how, to, how to do it without coming across as arrogant or egotistical, uh, how to do so without downplaying the fact that there is a virus and that it is serious. And so here's what I would want to tell you today, that as we approach this message, there are many different feelings about this idea of coronavirus. Uh, There's lots of different people uh, that have different opinions on it. Here's what I would say. The one thing I do know to be true is that the entire world is watching. The entire world is paying attention now, whereas five weeks ago they weren't. Matter of fact, I would say even a week ago they weren't. And if you can really think about a timeline, within the last 72 hours, everything has been flipped on its head. From cancellations across the world to things that you and I would have never expected. But here's the deal. I want you also to see the coronavirus in light of many other things. Now, I've hesitated whether or not I should even take this approach in the beginning of my message. And here's why. Because I don't want what I'm about to show you next to come across as insincere. And I don't want it to come across as, hey, I'm downplaying uh, this idea of the coronavirus or COVID-19. The reason I want to show you a handful of things I'm about to show you is simply so that you can have a bigger impact of what's going around the world globally. Things that you and I naturally, in our busyness, don't pay attention to. That many of us, uh, because we are indifferent to much of the things that are happening around our world, we just live our lives. And we're at such a fast pace, we don't pay attention to all the things that are happening around us. Because there are many sick people, there are many people that are in need of help and comfort and peace in the midst of their sorrow. And yet, in our selfishness, we just keep barreling down the tracks. And so let me just show you a handful of things in light of what's happening across the world. Let me begin with the coronavirus Um, these numbers are uh, up to date as within the last 10 minutes. Um, This is how many reported cases right now, which is 162,501 cases. I want to show you the very first slide uh, just so that you understand kind of, I believe, kind of where we are in terms of the COVID-19 by the numbers. And so this is kind of what it looked like uh, in 312. Today, we're at 315, and the cases have over doubled. And so right now, as of today, there's 3,083 cases in the U.S. alone. And so we know that it's exponentially growing across the world. There's 162,000 cases, actually 162,501 cases. 6,068 of them have died, which puts the death rate around 3 to 4%. In the U.S., we're at 3,083 cases. We've had 63 deaths, which puts the death rate around 2%, substantially lower than the rest of the world at this particular point in time. 
Now, obviously, there are still many cases that are serious, and we don't know the final numbers, but what we do know is that it's going to be tracking between 2 and 4% wherever it is globally at this time. Much more significant uh, fatality rates among those that are 60 and old, over, right? Uh, and so we need to think through that. Uh, we also have uh, the, the flu pandemic. Just this year alone, I want to show you how many cases of the flu. There's been 34 million cases in the U.S. so far uh, this year. Uh, within the last year, uh, we've hospitalized over 350,000 people, and there's been over 20,000 deaths so far in the U.S. alone. What about heart disease? Uh, heart disease is something that's impacted uh, lots of people. Uh, matter of fact, it is, uh, as many people would say, the CDC and uh, many other health organizations would say that is the leading cause of death among Americans right now. Uh, there are varying uh, varying statistics among racial groups and men and women, but here's what we know. Between 15 and 25 percent of Americans will die of heart disease, typically leading towards poor health, obesity, and just the fact that in general, many of us don't take care of the bodies, the temple that God has given us if we're believers in Christ. And so we know that that's something. Uh, this year alone, 647,000 Americans have died of heart disease. 647 thousand. Cancer, tracking just behind heart disease, 606,000 plus people have died this last year of cancer. We know that the fatality rate of cancer is very similar to that of heart disease. It is the next leading cause of death. What that means is the likelihood of all of us in this room um, dying is mostly going to be over poor health, which would lead to either heart disease or cancer or something like that. Uh, statistics would say that uh, almost 40% of Americans will come down with cancer, uh, very close to those numbers. And that means that not quite one in two, but certainly three uh, or one in three would come down with that uh, tragedy. What does that mean? That the fatality rate of such things is around 15 to 20% as well. Um, the, probably the leader among all of these leaders in terms of statistics that I know of, uh, according to Guttmacher, is abortion. This year, 862,000-plus uh, children will probably die. That's the last numbers we have in 2017. That was actually down some percentage points from the previous year, but in 2017, 862,000 children died. Here's what statistics tell us, that this year, one in every five pregnancies will end in abortion. Since 1969, that's been reported, and not all states federally report, we know that over 43 million babies have died across the world. In 2017, over 70,000 deaths were reported in drug overdose situations. That's a significant decrease from uh, 2018, um, but we still know that even in 2018, there were 67,000 plus deaths on this issue as well. Then not to, can't, you know, also to consider correlated accidents. We know that this year uh, we'll, we'll have anywhere between 35 and 40,000 deaths uh, in car accidents. In 2017, the last reported numbers uh, in traffic crashes was 37,473 deaths. Now, I hesitated to show you these things uh, simply because I don't want to come off as crass or as arrogant uh, or as thinking that the COVID-19 situation is not something that is serious. But I also wanted you to be in perspective and for this reason that you and I be aware that there is much suffering, much pain, and much hate or heartache around us that we as believers in Christ could be paying more attention to. 
Matter of fact, here's what I would say. is I have thought about the idea of uh, this response. Uh, it begs, begs the question about, is it really a pandemic? Uh, is that really what it is? Matter of fact, uh, the World Health Organization uh, classified everything that we're talking about on March 11th as a pandemic. Uh, there's a variety of things uh, to consider as far as whether or not it equates to that. And many of us have different opinions as to whether it is. Here's what we know. It's been classified as one. And here's what I would tell you. That our response in all of these cultural epidemics or pandemics will reveal much about our hearts. Typically, if I talk to somebody about this, we have a response. Uh, we, we have things that, uh, in a sense, we are thinking about or even saying. And typically, we will have one and three responses in which I want to outline for you here in a uh, second systematically. Uh, but we, we typically will struggle with what it is we say. And for many of us in this room, we oftentimes are gripped with fear and we're paralyzed over things and we live in that place. Matter of fact, there's many of us in here that we worry so much that we make Martha in the Bible look like a saint. And, and, and it's not just the COVID-19 virus. You worry about everything. And here's the deal. We know that that doesn't honor the Lord. At the same time, on the polar end of the spectrum, you've got people like me that happen to downplay most everything. And in many ways, you're indifferent to everything, and you believe in some ways that you won't ever be touched by these things. And so we oftentimes think of one of two parallels. We're either on one end of fear and the other end of kind of a little bit prideful or arrogant, which we'll talk about in just a second. But the question is, is what is it the Lord wants us to do? Uh, here's what I would say. I think the writer of Hebrews uh, clearly mentions in the midst of suffering, uh, he tells people in Hebrews chapter 10, believers there, uh, most likely in Jerusalem, he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to know that after you came to light, into fellowship with Christ, that there is a response that is, uh, is honorable. And, and he says this in Hebrews 10, verse 33 and 35. He says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion to, with, to those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. So the question is, is how should we respond? And, and what he's saying to the church there uh, in, in the early church, he's saying, hey, listen, the way we ought to respond is the way that people in light respond. And he goes, we ought to be paying attention to the world around us. He goes, we ought to have compassionate hearts. That's what Paul encourages the church of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He goes, put on hearts of compassion. He goes, we ought to respond in that way. We ought to be thinking through what it looks like to show hospitality. We ought to be thinking about what it looks like to, to do so, even if it means our own houses are plundered. It ought to be meaning that, hey, as believers in Christ, we ought to be thinking about how to make an impact in a culture that in many ways is fearful, afraid, and looking for hope. And he goes, that's what the best response is. But the challenge with that is that that's not how you and I typically respond. Matter of fact, as we think about our response, here's what I would say. As followers of Christ, we are not to live in fear, indifference, or with pride. And that's typically how we, we live. Many of us in here, we're so fearful. Isaiah 41.10, though, encourages uh, us to fear not, for I am with you, the Lord says. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The question is, what does that mean? 
Does it mean that you won't lose your life? No. Does it mean that you won't have suffering or hardship or angst or anxiety or, or fear around things? No. But what he is saying is, I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. In Psalm 56, David, oppressed by the Philistines, says, Lord, you are my hope. You are the one that I put my trust in. I don't have to fear because of you. Matter of fact, that's the response that Paul shares with Timothy in the midst of difficult times in the church of Ephesus. Um, he says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a power of love and of self-control or self-discipline, maybe what your version says. The reality is, is this, this verse right here is quoted over and over and over in perilous times like this. And the question is, what do you do with it? Well, what you do with it is know this, that our bodies are fragile, but we are immortal until the Lord calls us home. See, we already know that our life is fragile, that it comes and it goes. It's like a mist. It, it, it is literally, uh, it vanishes quickly is what we know. But here's what we also know, that the Lord already knows the appointed day or the hour. And he knows that many of us will die of cancer. Many of us will die of heart disease. Many of us will die of, uh, of, of car accidents, of other related things like overdoses. We know that many people around us are, are, are seeing people struggle in different things like the flu, the coronavirus. And we are not to live in fear. Why? Because there's a God who is in control. And so if your heart is gripped by fear, listen, you have to confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I have not been trusting you lately. The reality is this. Can some of us potentially be affected by this virus? Absolutely. Could it potentially take someone's life? Yes. But should it change everything about our lives? No. I would say that many of us... Uh, are indifferent to what's going on around us. As a matter of fact, many of us are posting memes on Facebook. We're joking about the entire situation. And in many ways, we have, um, have just not paid much attention to it. I would say in the last 72 hours, it's got many more of our attention than it did, say, a week ago or two weeks ago, let alone five weeks ago. But many of us have just lived in indifference to the whole thing. Like we are just not paid much attention to it. But here's the deal. Can you and I really be indifferent to something that is shaping the entire world? And the answer is no. Matter of fact, Paul writes to the church of Rome in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. And he goes, this is what our response should be in indifference. He goes, we ought to be uh, loving people. Matter of fact, he says, let our love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hey, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you're wondering what is the Christian's response, you can write down Romans 12, 9 through 13. Right, what are we supposed to do? He goes, we're to love people genuinely. We're not to run from the problem. We're to run towards helping people. We, we should abhor evil. evil. We, we should uh, seek to love one another with brotherly affection. Hey, we ought to show honor to one another. Matter of fact, we ought to outdo others. We, we shouldn't be slothful in our zeal. We ought to be thinking about, even now, how we can have an impact. Our indifference doesn't impact around anything. Matter of fact, it just makes us look selfish, egotistical, and prideful, which brings about the idea of our last one. Some of us are prideful. Uh, many of us are indifferent, but I would say many of us are prideful. When I say prideful, what I mean is, is that we are actually making fun of people who run to Walmart and buy all the toilet paper. 
the challenge with that is that many of the people who did that are sitting next to you. And so I would say that just as we think about indifference or pride, many of us are fearful. And, and the reality is, is this, is you start thinking about these things and we are gripped by these responses. But one of the most tragic responses, I think, within the local faith community is around the area of pride. That if you're playing this off as it's no big deal, people lack faith, they're, they're, just, they're just out of their minds, they've been brainwashed by media then I think what you're failing to do is care for those who have been affected. Because what we do know is that there have been thousands of people infected and affected by this. There have been many people across the world who have buried loved ones. And when when I have a tendency to be indifferent or prideful, i got to ask the question, what if it was one of my parents who had been infected? What if it was one of my family members that we were in a hospital praying for and grieving over? Would my response be the same then? And I think oftentimes in our pridefulness, we think that everything is so far away from us that we have a tendency to downplay things. And I would say we have to be careful of that. Matter of fact, we know that pride is a challenge for many of us in our lives outside of even this. Paul writes to the Romans in, in the latter part of Romans 12, uh, in verses 14 and 16, he has blessed those who persecute, bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Hey, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So that whole idea of your response determined in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, add on verses 14 through 16. Why? Because he goes, our response is to love others. Seek to show hospitality. He goes, don't be arrogant. Love those who are persecuting you. If you think that it's a media barrage, then begin praying for our media. If you think that it's brainwashing from the government, then begin praying for our government. The reality is, is whatever view you have in mind, use that as a way of bringing that before the throne of God and begin asking God to shape your heart and your mind to see the things that He desires for you to see. Either way, we should weep with those who are weeping. We should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We ought to live with harmony with one another. And more than anything, we ought to not be prideful or haughty. We shouldn't become arrogant. Why? Because we know that arrogance brings about a fall, doesn't it? And maybe not by a disease, but by the greatest disease that we have, which is our sin problem. 1 Peter 5-6 through outlines many things as well, which I'm not going to have time to unpack all for you today, but we need to be thinking through that lens. The way we respond typically is either fear, indifference, or pride. Very rarely do any of us respond the way Christ naturally desires or supernaturally desires for us to respond. Which brings me to point number three. Listen, here's what you need to know. And the reason I outlined all of those things, whether it be flu, heart disease, cancer, um, taking your own life, drugs, opioids, opioids, whatever it is, the reason why is because all pandemics, all disasters, all suffering are a result of the greatest pandemic, which is sin. See, sin is what has, in a sense, changed our entire world. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve chose to do what was right in their own eyes, it affected everyone. And here's what you and I need to know, that there is a statistic that is true. 100% of all people born in the U.S. are sinners. And 100% of all of them will die. And their death will come in a variety of different ways. But here's what we need to know. The reality of what we're seeing now, the pandemics that we see, regardless of the numbers, all a result of sin and suffering from the curse of the fall. 
everything that we're talking about is in relation to who we are in our flesh and what we have been producing over the years in our hearts of deceitfulness. And so why does that matter? Well, because Romans 3.23 says, For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. That's true. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin, the penalty, the payment of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul writes to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, which I think is the point of all of this. He says that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom, the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And now, uh, only the creation, but ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of the sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here, here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, all of creation, all of us are subjected to suffering, to hardship, to pandemics, to disease, to pestilence, to difficult times. We, we know that that's going to come. Why? Because we are a part of the creation. And because we are a part of the creation, we are not only going to die a physical death in a variety of means because of our sin, but we also will be separated from God forever in bondage and slavery of sin. And unless we have been born again, unless we have been found as a new creation. And so the question is, is, should we respond in indifference when this may be the best opportunity the world has as believers to proclaim the hope of the, and the message of the gospel? And what is the message of the gospel in this time? Is it, hey, grow up, get yourself together, and quit buying toilet paper? The answer is no. Is it in this particular point to think across the world and say, man, all of these fools are blowing this out of proportion? And the answer is no. The question is, what is our response? Our response is, is to help people see and understand that the reason things like this happen in our world are a result of the fall of mankind. It is our sin that has entangled us over the years that is leading and producing death in us. And because that death is so prevalent in us, we have a response. And here's what it is. Can I tell you that even though I don't have the cure for COVID-19, and even though there are many uh, people that are working on that, listen, can I tell you that I do have the cure for the greatest problem you have, and that's sin. Can I point you to a God that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your indifference, in the midst of your pridefulness, can I tell you about a God who loves you, who sent his son to be perfect for you, that even though you are a sinner, that even though your heart is dark and deceitful and sick, desperately what Jeremiah 17, 9 says, that there is a God in heaven who loves you. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been exposed to, he he wants to have a relationship with you. Would you turn and trust him? That's the point. That's our response. Which doesn't change the fact that many of us still have questions, but is God using this to refine a nation. And there are a variety of opinions on that. The, the question is, is, is God finally waking up America? Is God finally waking up China? Is that what he's doing? Is He's finally judging all of the corruption, all the sinfulness, all the things that you relate to across the world that are so sick and so deceitful. And I would say, maybe, but not necessarily. Matter of fact, when you think about the scriptures as a whole, you got to ask yourself, in light of suffering, in the light of hardship, in the light of disease, in light of uh, sickness, what is the Lord doing? And I would say the Lord could be doing 
multiple different things. As a matter of fact, I would say that God uses circumstances, disasters, and diseases to bring about his purposes. Does God want to bring about his purposes in the midst of this situation? And the answer is absolutely he does. But what, what is it exactly that we are seeing? And I would say that, number one, what we are seeing is the reverberation of a broken world. We're seeing the recoil of sin. And so we know that sin works itself out and manifests itself in a variety of ways. One, through the world, which is children of the prince of the power of the air. We know that it's a part of the flesh in which Galatians 5 clearly says that there's a war being waged in our flesh, the natural person, because unless God intervenes. And we also know that there's the father of lies, John 8, 44, the devil, the one who is trying to blind the hearts of the unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4. We know that there is a real situation that is happening, and it's the reverberation of a broken world. It is the sinfulness in our world that, in many ways, God is trying to point out. What does he desire in all of this that people would bring, be led towards repentance? That's his goal, that people would be led towards repentance, that they would come to him. But here's the deal. In even all of these things, God also wants to remind us of his goodness. Does it change who God is in the midst of suffering, in the midst of fear or hardship? And the answer is no. Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10, He goes, hey, brothers, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Paul writing about some of the suffering that he has endured. For we so utterly burned beyond strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But what? But that was to make us what? Not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised his son from the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So what is Paul writing to? He goes, listen, I just want you to know that God is good. Yes, you might have death, disease, or or ailments knocking at your door. You might be aging, and you might see the last handful of years right before your eyes. But what he's saying is, he goes, but have hope. Have hope in what? Yourself and your strength? In your pridefulness? No, have hope in the one who's overcome. That he could, in a sense, bring you out from despair and the grip of death if he had liked. But moreover, he says, those who know me again will be raised to a new life. He goes, don't fear. Live your life and be reminded of his goodness in spite of the reverberation of a broken world. He goes, even though there's sin in the world, continue to look to a God who loves you. What else could God be using this pandemic for? And I would say to produce righteousness in us. Uh, He desires that we would become more like him. Paul writes to Romans chapter 8, verse 10. He says this, You, however, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life because of righteousness. What he's saying, even though you are cursed by sin itself, he goes, hey, Have hope. Why? Because God's still working in you. Matter of fact, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give your life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What he's saying, he goes, listen, use the infirmities, the suffering, the hardship, the disease as a means to point you back to God. That even in your suffering, God could be producing in you righteousness. That his spirit dwells in you and desires for you to be conformed to his image. Which gives new meaning to Romans 8.28, uh, which many of us can oftentimes misquote or misunderstand. But it just simply says, and we know that those who love God, uh, that he is working all things together for our good, for those who are called according to this purpose. The question is, is, can God use sickness in your life 
suffering, disease, cancer, COVID-19, to produce in you suffering so that you, in turn, turn to Christ and you become more like him in righteousness. Yes. Could that be the refining purpose across the world? Absolutely. Absolutely it could be. It could be that God is bringing that about. I would say that it's also the hope of future rewards, that one of the reasons that God allows us to struggle with things like this is simply because we know that light and momentary afflictions help us to look forward. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth in verse 17, for the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because one of the reasons that we, that we suffer in this life is to point us towards the next life. Here's what you need to understand, that our kingdom and our hope does not lie here. Guys, if this is the best you have, then listen, I pity you. Matter of fact, I pity the fool who oftentimes says these words. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just living the dream. And I always respond, oh, I hope this isn't the dream. (laughs) Have you thought about those words? Have you thought the implications of the foolishness that says Those words, oh, I'm just living the dream. Man, if sickness and death and suffering and destruction and disease and heartache and pain and people dying apart from Jesus is is somehow the dream, I don't want any part of it. But in a day and age where all of these things are despair, I want you to know that in the light and momentary affliction, that there is an eternal weight of glory being produced in you. God can use all of your hurts, all of your hardships, all of your darkness, all of your pain, including COVID-19, including cancer, including a past abortion that you regret, to bring about righteousness in you. So that you can understand and relate and begin to comfort those in their affliction. Why? Because the God of all comfort has come near to you and you can draw near to others. That's what God can do. Can God also bring about repentance? Yes, absolutely he can bring about repentance. He can bring about any of those things. Why? Because of a broken world. And I would also say the purpose of all of this, and I didn't put it in here on the notes, and so forgive me, I added it later is to reveal God's glory. All of it is to reveal God's glory. Matter of fact, I'm oftentimes reminded of a passage in John chapter 9, and the passage just simply goes like this. There was disciples and Jesus going down the road, and the disciples asked Jesus a question. Hey, Jesus, that man over there that's born blind, hey, why is he blind? Why Why is he this way? And then they ask a really profound question. Is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus responds, it was neither. It's so that the glory of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus heals this boy. Now here's what I want you to understand. That sometimes what God is doing around the world is simply so that people would see that there is a God in heaven who is mighty to save. And that he wants to have glory from all of it. And I would say that's true. He wants to have glory from it all. Why? Because more than anything, he desires repentance. That's the goal. He desires that people would repent. If nothing else, whether God is judging people because of their their past sins, here's what we know. He still desires for them to come to know him. God is not the kind of God that's going to strike someone right where they are just so they'll suffer and he can enjoy it. 
That's not the God of heaven. What the God of heaven does is allows things to happen oftentimes in our life for a variety of means. And if it is that he's calling about repentance in our life, he is still patient, long as they wouldn't perish apart from him. Matter of fact, that's what I would say you see in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Paul had actually brought about some harsh realities for the church of Corinth. He had written some harsh things. And he goes, I'm glad that you were grieved over what I told you. I'm glad that what you read convicted your hearts. I'm glad that you felt a godly grief, that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Because if you want, you can look and you can just say, you know what, God's afflicted me, and, and God, I can't believe that you would do this. Or in the midst of our affliction, we could turn to the God of, of heaven and we could reveal his glory and say, hey, God, I don't know what it is that you're doing. I don't know why it is that you have allowed these things to happen to me. Lord, I don't know if it's that you're revealing glory in me. I don't know if it's that you're reminding me of your goodness. God, I don't know if it's that you're doing something else, that if you're just wanting to produce righteousness in me. But Lord, maybe that it's something that I, I need to come to you and I need to repent. Maybe it's that you're allowing me to be sifted for some reason because of my life. Lord, either way, I pray that whatever you're doing in me, I I would know that it's to bring about your good and your glory and your perseverance in my life. Lord, I know that you've sealed me and saved me for the day uh, that you'll call me home. Until then, Lord, help me to know that worldly grief produces death, but godly grief produces repentance and salvation in me. That's the goal. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 13, 1 through 5, there's a great story about uh, what would happen uh, about repentance. Matter of fact, it says this, there were some present at the very time who told him uh, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, hey, do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of those 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than the other offenders who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Brings us back to point three. Are there levels of sinfulness? And are there worse sinners than other sinners? Or are we all sinners in need of a patient God who would bring about his weight of glory in our life? Yes, and what Jesus goes, hey, listen, do you think that those guys, because they were killed by a virus, that they're worse than you are? No, by no means. He would say, you are all condemned by death because of your sin. And unless you repent, unless you turn and you head to the Savior, he goes, you are equally as confused and you are eternally, eternally condemned as much as they are. Do you see the point? He goes, so repent. Matter of fact, 2 Peter, uh, Peter writes, and he says this to a group of people who are alienated, estranged, and living for the, running for their lives. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill the promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient, even in this time, not longing that anyone would die apart from him. Of the 130 or 150 or 60,000 people who have been infected, his desire is that all of them would come to know him that not a single death would be reported of anyone that was far from him. Do you understand that, church? So the Lord is doing something, and we should draw near to him. Which brings about the idea that to escape all futility, we ought to put our future hope in God's treatment plan. What should we do? We should repent. Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that no one may turn away from the snares of death. Listen, we know that Jesus is our wisdom. We should turn to him. We should seek him. We should ask him for a new life in Christ if we don't have it. And if we do, we should draw near to him with all that we have. First Peter says this, his divine power has granted us all things. Some things? No, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that they, uh, them that you know may become partakers of the divine truth, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. What does that mean, to escape the corruption? Does that mean that you won't suffer and that corruption won't touch you? No. What he's saying is, is that we have a heavenly hope that even if we die in our suffering, even if we die of a disease, even if we die because our mortal bodily, bodies finally give out, he goes, we don't have to live without hope. Our bodies don't have to die in corruption. Though they go back to dust from where they came, he goes, our souls can be with God forever. Paul says, and to be absent of the bodies, to be present of the Lord, only for those who know him. And that's our hope, right? Which, listen, guys, if this is our hope, do we really have to live in fear? I mean, do we really have to elbow bump? And you would say no. And here's why I say no, not necessarily. But why do we? Simply because we want to consider others better than ourselves. The, the reason why is because we don't want to flood hospitals and we want to do our part as Christians in this society to help slow any part of this that we can. That's our response. But we don't live in fear. We don't back off from relationships. Matter of fact, the question you might ask is, hey, how do I respond? How does the Christian respond? Hey, how is Stone Point leadership going to respond? And I would say there's four ways. Number one, we're going to act wisely. Okay? Okay. Uh, we have thoroughly cleaned this building. Um, we have sprayed it down with, a, uh, uh, with industrial sprayers. We're going to do that as soon as our services are done. Our kids' ministry team, as soon as kids' ministry is picked up, they've got a brief window in which everything will kind of close down. They'll wipe every single thing down to prevent any type of infectious spreading. We're not going to do food the, the natural way that we've been doing food here lately. We're going to think through that. We're going to wash our hands. Guys, you should do that anyway. Wash your hands. Men, ladies, wash your hands. Take vitamins. Listen, soak up the sun. That's one of the best things that you can do. Get outside. Enjoy what God has given you. We're going to do those things. We're going to use our time that we have for eternal things. Perhaps they allow you to work from home. Maybe they shut our schools, our businesses. Perhaps they, at some point, mandate that even believers like us can't gather at this size. Okay, great. What are we going to do? We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to spend time enjoying a slower pace. Amen? Amen? Like, use this for good. Grow a garden. Get outside. Read some books with your kids. Have meaningful conversations. Slow down. Pray for those who are on the front lines because there are certain people that they're not going to get to call in sick, i.e. firemen, police officers, nurses, doctors, other people that are close. Pray for them. Encourage them. Call them. Ask them how you can be caring for them well. Catch up with friends that you haven't talked to in a long time. Go through your, your, your list of contacts and go, you know what, it's been a long time that I've had a slow pace in my life that I could catch up with some old friends. Use it for eternal things. Have some gospel conversations. Step into people where you see there's a par paralysis of fear. Or, hey, maybe there's pride or indifference. Or maybe somebody's being pretty egotistical in their response and saying, right now, it's really one in five million people who have been infected. 
across the planet, which is actually statistically true. One in five million people right now are being infected, so very low percentages. But if you're not careful, how does that come across? Unloving, egotistical, and that's not our desire. Why? Because we do see how fast this thing is spreading, and we do see how real it's going to get. And so our response should be to, to, to use our time wisely. Number three, I would say, hey, we're not going to run in fear, but we're going to run towards the need. Guys, we're not going to close down unless at some point we, we really need to for the benefit of the entire public. Even then, here's what we're going to do. Our goal, our mission hasn't changed. We're going to continue to run towards people in need. We, we haven't existed for the last nine years to be about ourselves. Why would we, in a time of need, begin to be about ourselves? Here's what we know. Our, our bodies are, are temporal. They're mortal. And we know that there's nothing that can affect the body. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 10. But what we do know is that, hey, uh, we're immortal until he calls us home, until the day that we're a sign of death. And so what should we do? We should run towards the needs. Do you know that statistically churches and have used their means to bring about most of the hospitals in the nation, most of the schools in the nation, most of those things, serving capacities were born out of the church many years ago. Why shouldn't that be the case now? And then last one, hey, we're going to continue to point people to the one who holds all authority. Church, if you don't understand this, you and I are just mere ants on a planet. But God is still mindful of us, isn't he? He cares for us, he loves us, and he desires a relation with us. Hey, would you remind people of that? I love you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time. God, I pray that you would use... Um, the next few minutes that we have together, that even as we gather and as we sing a song and, and uh, Lord, we, we go over our allotted hour together here, um, I pray that not a single person, um, unless they have to for health reasons, escapes out of the back doors. But I pray that you'd use this time just to align our hearts over the fact that you are sovereign, you are in control, that, that Lord, your church is here and it exists for your glory and for our good. And I pray that we would know that we're not going to live in panic or fear uh, or in isolation, but Lord, that we are going to love others the way that you have first loved us. And so Lord, we won't want to be foolish in, in considering others, but Lord, we want to often continue to remind ourselves to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I pray for those in this room that have already been impacted, whether it be um, financially, uh, maybe their, their pantry is a little bit bare, um, Lord, I pray that they would know that the church is going to step up. I pray that they would know they're not alone and that there is a plan. And Lord, I pray uh, that we can connect people with other people uh, that have been preparing for this and have already uh, known that these, these days would come. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just trust you and that we would live for you, knowing that you're sovereign over it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.